Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And might I say happy Mother's Day once again. We all have mothers, like I said earlier, so go take care of mom today. You know, I overheard a conversation. By the way, all those things on that video, Jared, I heard my mom say all of those things to me at some point. Many times, actually. I overheard a conversation with my mom and one of her friends talking one day, and they were watching my brother and I play and basically being a menace to everything in society. And uh, the friend asked my mom, would, if you could do it all over again, would you have kids again? Now, mind you, I have five older sisters that were way older than my brother and I, and kind of uh, almost afterthoughts. But anyway, the lady asked, if you could do it all again, would you be a mother again? And she looked at us for a second. She said, yeah, I think I would do it again. Maybe not with these two again, but... <laughs> I'm not sure where moms get their strength. I don't know where my mom got her strength. Um, out on the sign, I don't know if you saw it coming in this morning, that's a quote from Milton Berle. He said, if evolution is true, then why do moms only have two hands? If evolution was true, then have a lot more. Okay, so our scripture this morning was about a not-yet-mother who had strength, she had perseverance, um, knew where her strength was, was to be found. So uh, this morning we heard a part of the story about Hannah praying to be a mom. Um, when her story opens in Samuel 1, she is very heartsick. She's um, unable to eat for her greatest desire that she wanted to be a mom, to have a son, um, continues to elude her. Um, child after child had been born to her husband's um, other wife, uh, Penea, who brazenly taunts Hannah. Let's look at uh, the first part of 1 Samuel, verse 6. It says, her, that's Hannah's rival, provoked her and made her miserable because the Lord had left her barren. Okay, so we want to talk about Hannah. We want to talk about uh, her prayer. We want to talk about her perseverance. And we want to talk about the God who answered her. So this isn't just a story about Hannah. When we read these stories, we need to read ourselves into some of these situations, some of these stories. So we're going to talk about Hannah, and we're going to talk about her situation. We're going to look at it in three different ways, and we're going to talk about how to apply what she did to our lives, because we pray to the same God that she prayed to, he answers us the same way he answered her. So I want to start out with, first of all, the reason for her burden. What was the reason for her burden? Okay, unable to have children up to this point in time. Um, verse 6, you just saw it a second ago, the Lord had left her barren. Now sometimes in our discouragement, um, the things that we're going through, um, we have a serious problem, but our problem is that we forget that God has the solution to whatever we're going through. That God knows what we're going through and he has a plan for us. Sometimes we just forget that he has a solution and that he's working behind the scenes in our lives. I almost changed the title to this, uh, the sermon this morning to behind the scenes or to the God behind the scenes in our lives. Um, to make that point, when, we, when our daughters were younger, I used to read to them from a series called Christian Heroes. Um, and there's one book about uh, Corey Ten Boom. Um, maybe you've heard of her. She, was, uh, she lived in the Netherlands during the Nazi occupation. And her and her family had housed and, and taken care of, hid Jewish people from the Nazis until one day they got raided, they got caught. And her and her sister and her father were taken to a prison camp. Not a concentration camp, but to a prison camp because they were breaking the law. They weren't Jewish. So her dad didn't last very long there, only a couple of weeks actually. He was pretty sick by the time this whole raid had happened, but Corey and her sister uh, were bounced around to different places in, in uh, different uh, prison camps. Now, to illustrate the point that God works behind the scenes, uh, Corey Tenboom told this story. She said they had just been transferred to the worst German prison camp known. That was at Ravenstock, a place called Ravenstock. 
Upon entering the barracks, they found it completely overcrowded, both with people and the fleas that had infested this barracks. Now, coincidentally or not, uh, that morning their scripture reading was from the 1 Thessalonians 5. This is what they read that morning. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So 1 Thessalonians reminds those, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, in everything you give thanks. So her sister, Betsy, um, told Corey to stop after they got into the barracks. She said, stop and thank God for every detail about our new surroundings. Corey took one look around her and flatly refused to give thanks for any of this that she saw. But Betsy persisted, so Corey uh, prayed about it. And then during the months that they were at that camp, um, they were amazed and surprised how openly they could hold Bible studies, how they could hold prayer meetings, and how many, of peop- how many people in that very crowded barracks came to know Christ because of their presence there. It wasn't until a few months later that they put it together and they learned that the guards wouldn't go anywhere near that barracks because it was flea-infested. So sometimes God is working behind the scenes, and sometimes he's working behind the scenes right in front of our face, and we don't recognize it. Now, we could have easily just complained about this flea-infested, crowded uh, prison that they're in, but God was using that situation. Again, he's working behind the scenes. So, okay, there's a reason for her burden. Now, looks at the source of her uh, discouragement. Um, Hannah had a husband. Hannah's husband was Elkanah. Elkanah, who loved her very much. Scripture says that very much. We get that uh, repeated theme. Even though she hadn't had children, she, he loved her very much. Elkanah actually had two wives, Hannah and a woman named uh, Peninnah. Now, yeah, two wives. I don't know if Mother's Day is a good day to talk about having two wives. <laughs> you know, Mark Twain was in Utah back in the day, and um, he was talking to one of the prominent leaders of the church out there. And this prominent leader was making a case for having more than one wife. Mark Twain said, no, that's not right. And he said, the pastor said, well, can you show me one piece of scripture that says that a person shouldn't have two wives? And Twain said, without thinking, he said, absolutely. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. <laughs> so there we go. So for Hannah, Penny now was really the, was really the source of her discouragement. Um, the Hebrew word back in verse 6 um, means adversary, means trouble, means distress. Of course, we really know that the devil is behind all of that. He uses people, pits them against each other, and sees if they can just have a big struggle. He's, I think he's working overtime for us right now. But Penny is her adversary and her antagonist. Um, I couldn't decide which, whether to use um, uh, adversary or antagonist. Adversary is a person that wants to bother you, and antagonist is a person that keeps up until that job is completely done. So Hannah's source of discouragement has created a a great deal of heartache for her. So what do we do in situations like that? What do we do when we're in situations like that? Well, first, and I know this sounds oversimplified, and I'm going to take the rest of the morning to talk about this. The first thing we need is to to give it to the God who is working behind the scenes and understand and believe and realize that he is working behind the scenes. By the way, we never hear of Penina again, the antagonist. We never hear from her again. I'm not saying she's not a follower of God, a follower of Christ. I'm not saying anything like that. But what she was doing was antagonizing. We never heard from her again. Hannah's story is very well known. And here we are talking about it again this morning. And when I thought about that, I thought about Proverbs 10:7, where it says, The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot, or literally be blotted out. 
Hannah's story is uh, the, uh, one of blessing, of a God. It's a story of a God who works behind the scenes. So now I want to talk, third point, I want to talk about the resolution of her problem. Hannah perseveres. Hannah works through this. Verse 7 says this. It says, year after year, she went up to the Lord's house. Year after year, she went up to the Lord's house. Her rival, Penina, had been having kids right along the way, just like anybody would, just like normal. But here we are, and she's going up against this. And again, so here we are. goes out to the house of the Lord year after year. There's a great lesson in just that one verse for followers of Christ. Too often when, when they feel discouraged, followers of Christ feel discouraged, when things don't go their way, the first response is to stop going to church. First response is to just stop and get away from everything. And God says, you know what? It should be just the, exactly the opposite. We should be pouring ourselves into the God who works behind the scenes rather than trying to walk away from him and figure things out on our own. That's not how we're designed to work. God says, bring it back in here. Bring it back in here. We'll talk about it. Be with like-minded believers. I was reminded when I talked about that, I was reminded of Psalm 40, uh, verse 1, where it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He turned to me and heard my cry. In verse 19, back in 1 Samuel, it says that the Lord remembered her, waited patiently for the Lord. She went back there year after year, waiting patiently. He turned to me and heard my cry. Hannah perseveres. Pouring her heart out at the temple in Shiloh um, so much that Eli, the priest, thinks she's drunk, like Lyle just read. But she's starting to cut a deal with God. She's starting to work with God. Almost a bargain. She says to God, give me a son and I'm going to bring him back to you. Put him into your service forever. And she's going to name him Samuel. Um, Samuel. Now that's the English translation, but we're pretty close to it. Um, if, if you think about it, uh, for, stare at that word for 10 minutes, you'll notice that it ends in E-L, Samuel. Um, L means God, as in El Shaddai, as in um, Elohim, as in El Elyon, right? The first part of Samuel is really Shema, um, like the Shema from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, that God is one. So Samuel, Shema El, literally means the God who hears. Or it's really a past tense thing. God has heard. It's kind of reversed for us because we put the verb in front of the noun. But it's the God has heard Shema El. So God has heard. She conceives. She bears a son. Names him Samuel. Promised God that after he is weaned, and we don't use that word anymore, after he is weaned, he will will return him back to the temple and he will be in your service forever. God has heard her, right? Verse 19, the Lord remembered her. So then as promised, Hannah brings him back to live permanently in the temple. And although it must have been incredibly difficult for her to do that, to keep that promise, um, trusting that God had better things in mind for this boy than she could ever imagine or even think about. And as her trust is, is borne out, literally Samuel grows to be, he's the last judge of Israel. Um, Samuel is the one... Um, Israel is in an incredibly uh, corrupt and violent, morally corrupt time right there. Um, but Samuel is the keeper of the faith. He's going to be the instrument uh, forging forward with the nation's future. Samuel is the one who, who anoints Saul, the first king of Israel. 
He fights with the nation because they say, we want a king because we want to look like everybody else. And Samuel is talking with God and says, no, you don't want that. Samuel started to take it personally because he was the judge. He was the one that was really in charge. But God assured him, he said, it's not about you. They're rebelling against me. So we're going to give them what they want. So Samuel is the last judge. He anoints Saul, and then he also anoints David later on. So now Hannah's words um, are the clearest example of the kind of a prayer that many of us dismiss, right? Now, uh, some people will try to tell you she's bargaining with God, but she's at least conferring with God. 1 Samuel 11 says this, She made this vow. And then she says this, this is beautiful, we should sing this. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. God heard Hannah's prayer. He also heard this vow. And in his time and in his way, he lifted Hannah's burden. He lifted Hannah's burden. It's a good lesson for us all right here. Try not to rush God. It's okay to cry out to him like that to say remember, but also trust that he's working behind the scenes. Note also that she goes right to the top. She doesn't need some um, mediator, although Eli does step in after he chastises her, and, but he, then he joins her in prayer. It says, may what you're praying come out the way you're praying it. And prayerful souls might think it's, it's wrong or maybe ineffective to confer with God about these things. And yet here we see this stunning example of a biblical woman doing just that and doing it successfully. So she asked for what she wanted most, a son. To our knowledge, you know, when we read this and we look at this, she didn't say things like, um, you know, if it be your will, or Lord, whatever you want is fine with me. No, man, she drew from her own power. She envisioned it. She envisioned the potential to bear a child. And then she promised to give it back to God. Her most precious treasure back to God. Where does this all work? How does this fit into our lives? Because sometimes this doesn't sound like what we're supposed to be doing or how God works. But well, okay, so let's look at what God says about this. How does God connect some of these dots for us? There's two schools of thought. There's a debate right now because it doesn't come right out and say, because of her vow, God responded. It doesn't say it like that. God heard her prayer. But that vow, we're not sure how that exactly fits into it. So back off from what we, what we don't know, let's dig into and, and jump into what we do know about this. What does God say about this situation and about your situation and about our lives and about our relationship with him? Proverbs 16.3, commit whatever you do to the Lord and then your plans will succeed. I told you last week that we've been talking with the youth group about commitment. We're talking about how the Bible I don't oversimplify things, but I just want to lay it out like this. The Bible has a lot of commands in it and a lot of promises in it. And when we hear the word command, we think the Ten Commandments and we think this iron fist and a sledgehammer standing behind us waiting for us to mess up. That's not what God's commands are about. That first part, commit whatever you do to the Lord, that's a command. Commit whatever you do to the Lord. And then he backs up that command with a promise. He says, and then your plans will succeed. Why? Because we're committed to God. 
Why? Because we start thinking about what God wants, not what we want. We want to fit into the way God wants us to do things. And when we do that, then our will is going to align with God's will, and then our plans will succeed. And then in the New Testament, he starts changing that language a little bit. He starts to get a little bit more direct. Look at John 14, 14. Jesus saying this, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Crazy, right? When God says, or when Jesus says, in my name, he means this. He means that which represents his will. That which represents his ways. That which represents the way he's thinking. What he wants. It doesn't mean just adding the words in Jesus' name we pray at the end and then sign it off and say, that's in his name. No. It means to represent his thoughts. It represents his ways. His ways of doing things. And when we're representing, we're we're responding to the things God wants in this world, your prayers will be answered. Why? Because it's God's will. How do we get to God's will? When we commit everything to the Lord. Not just haphazardly a few things like there. You know, it's not Jesus isn't saying, you know, I'm going to be this vending machine now. You just walk up and put in a, a little coin that says in Jesus' name, pull the lever and whatever you want pops out. That's not what he's talking about. Align your will with my will and then things are going to go the way that we want them to. So Hannah's conferring with God. And God says, yes. Shema El will be my tool. Now the hard part is that when we really think God should want what we want, God, we think that God should want whatever we think, isn't that a great thing for me to have? Doesn't, shouldn't God want me to have it like that? Shouldn't he want me to have it when I want it, where I want it, the way I want it? And it gets even more complicated than that. Like how can we be patient for God to act when one of the things that we wanted or prayed for was when a, is to a, for a loved one to keep on living who, who is not anymore. Well, I revert back to the theme that God works behind the scenes. Let's say it again. Jesus isn't promising to be a personal vending machine here. Rather, what he's doing is he's encouraging confidence. He's encouraging faithfulness in prayer. When Jesus says to pray in my name, he means that we can pray with his authority, that we can pray with his power. When our requests made in the name of God's Son, when they further God's purpose and God's kingdom, God will act on our behalf. And in the end, after John 14, 14, it talks about the Father and the Son being glorified. That's what he's going for here. So when Hannah's praying these things, let God be glorified in this Son, God says, giddy up, that's what we want together. You conferred with me. We talked about, yeah, that's what we're looking for. So again, when Jesus said, ask for anything in my name, he's not delivering some some magical formula for getting whatever we want, whatever you want. He was giving, instead, a guiding principle. He was giving a guiding principle to align one's desires with God's giving a guiding principle to align your desires with God's desires. When we pray in Jesus' name, we pray according to the will of God. We pray that what will honor, what will glorify Christ, what will Jesus. 
One of the things that glorifies him and honors him is your salvation and the salvation of others. That's what glorifies and honors Jesus. So, now, as we remember Hannah, I saw Hannah over there, by the way. As we remember Hannah from Shema'el and her bold requests of God, and since it's Mother's Day, I want to end on a, on a light note. I, I, I'm challenging you to apply the things that, that we've just talked about here this morning. Right? To remember that we have a God that works behind the scenes. And sometimes those scenes are playing out right in front of our faces and we can't recognize it because it doesn't look the way we want it to. We start praying around those things rather than praying into those things. Remember when Betsy won and Corey Timboom walked into that barracks, you can imagine the horror that they were up against. And Betsy said, we're going to thank God for everything we see here. And God used it for his glory. Connecting these dots with me? We face many burdens. We face many adversaries. We face many discouragements in this life. Like I said, it's Mother's Day, so I thought I'd bring it around here. When you're feeling a little discouraged, remember this. Remember that you were born wet, naked, and hungry... It can't get any worse. <laughs> Let's stand.